Correction is a matter of life and death. Correction is one of the powers that brings change. Correction eliminates foolishness. Correction yields the fruit of righteousness. The burden of meeting out correction is not only a body for the one who is being corrected, it's a body to the one giving it us. The path of correction is the path of life. The Word of God is a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. Be blessed today as God's servant, Reverend Peter Ayo Alabi, brings you God's Word. Glory to God. Say after me, say, I'm seated in heavenly places. Hallelujah. So this is the last Wednesday of the month. And um, we've had great, great, great recap from our brethren on the online platform. And it's good to hear how they are being blessed. Somebody say, get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready. Hallelujah. All right, Proverbs 15.10. I'll take you from where... Brother Stephen stopped. You know, Proverbs 15, 10. I know he quoted from Hebrews 12, verse 9. But I, I want us to see something about that Hebrews 12, 9. And so let's go to Proverbs 15, 10. Correction is grievous unto him that forsaketh the way. And he that hateth reproof shall die. Do you see? He that hateth reproof, he says, shall die. So notice there. If you resist correction, do you see? It leads to perdition, destruction, death. However, in Hebrews 12, 9, it says that when we subject ourselves to the correction of God our Father, it says we shall live. Do you see? Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us and we give them reverence. And that what reverence means, we give them, we should respect you see, shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? So notice the contrast. It says the man who rejects reproof shall die. But it says when we subject ourselves to correction, it says we shall live. Is, is that clear to you? Do you see that? It says the one who re- rejects correction or hates reproof, he said he shall die. He said, but when we subject ourselves to correction, he said, we shall live. So it means correction is a matter of life and death. Do you see that? Correction is a matter of life and death. It means you want to live, then choose correction. In fact, it shows you that the path of correction is the path of life. The path of correction is the path of life. You want to live, you've got to choose correction. Notice, we're talking about correction in light of transformation. Correction is one of God's way of transforming us. Correction is a power. It's a powerful thing. It's the power of change. Did you see that? Correction is one of the powers that brings change. Because you're going to transform your life. One of the ways God is going to do it is through the avenue and the agency of correction. I'd like to read that to you in the NLT, Hebrews 12, 9. Since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more 
So the discipline of the father of our spirits and live forever. I like that. He says, shouldn't we subject or uh, notice now, since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the father of our spirits and live forever? So all the ways that you really show that you want to live is your attitude to correction. Is your attitude to correction. The Passion Translation puts it this way. It says, and isn't it true that we respect our earthly fathers even though they corrected and disciplined us? Then we should demonstrate an even greater respect for God, our spiritual father. Do you see that? He calls God our spiritual father. God is our spiritual father. Now you know God does that through men. Do you see that? As we submit to his life-giving discipline. The discipline of God is life-giving. Did you see that now? The discipline of God is not death. It's not a death blow. It's life-giving. Did you see? The discipline of God is life-giving. The Amplified says, Moreover, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we yielded to them. And respected them for training us. So if someone is training, you've got to show them some respect. And the way to show them that respect is to take the training. It's not just to say, I respect you, sir. I respect you, sir. You're about to say, You're about to When someone wants to collect something from you, you'll be, you'll be, you'll be genuflecting. That's the meaning of dobale. So for those of you who don't speak Yoruba language, dobale means to genuflect. You know, people say prostrate. That's, that's quack English. Right, tell your neighbor, say genuflect. <laughs> Some of you are saying something different. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Do you see? So, uh, so the, the way to show respect for your trainer is to take the training. I, I've said this over the years. A mentor is really not somebody you just call mentor. In fact, a mentor is not just somebody who gives you advice. A mentor is someone whose advice you take. All right? There's a difference. A mentor is not just someone who gives you advice. A mentor is someone whose advice you take. It's when you begin to take a person's advice, you can say, truly, this is my mentor. You don't just uh, claim it's my mentor, it's my mentor. Uh, I have all his tips. I have all his teachings. I have everything he has ever taught. I've read everything he has ever written. I've heard everything he has ever said. But you have never done anything he has ever said. That's why Jesus said, if you keep my commandments, then are ye my disciples. <laughs> it's not if you hear my word. It's if you do. If you do. It's one of the things that characterizes true membership. Did you see in the house of the Lord? If you are just coming to church and you are not living by the teachings of the church, you are not yet truly a member of the church. That's why in the membership class, one of the things in the membership class manual that we teach in the membership class is that Part of your obligation is to be an example, an ambassador of your church. You've got to be able to embody the teachings of your church. You've got to live by those teachings. You've got to live by those teachings. I say over the years, people come to churches, uh, you know, you see people in churches where he says he's a member of a church, but he, he sits down debating about the doctrine of his church and says, I don't agree with what the pastor is teaching. Why are you there? Get out of there. Look for another church that agrees with you. You see what I'm saying? Why are you in a church where you don't agree with the doctrines of the church? I don't, I don't. So every, every Sunday you come, your nose is always up. Wednesdays, when they are teaching, your nose is up too. 
mm, are you a pig? You know? Mm, go to a church where you don't have to be doing where everything they are saying is, is your way. Alright? And believe me, if you find that kind of church, you will eventually still see something you don't like there. And you will keep going on and on like that until Jesus comes. And people like that, they are not useful to God. Because oftentimes, what you think you don't agree with in your local church, if you sit down properly, you might realize that you are actually wrong. But of course, it's possible that churches you go to where fundamentally all the things they are saying is out of place. If you go to a church where you, they don't believe in baptism of the Holy Ghost, wherever they are speaking with tongues, and you, of course, you are filled with the Holy Ghost speaking with tongues, you may not last there. And I, I laugh at people who say stuff like, I'm going to change that church. Who are you? Just leave them alone and find a church that's speaking tongues like you and go and speak all your tongues there. Because they will keep giving you a left foot of fellowship in that place. And if you speak in tongues in their service, you are out of order. God is not going to be pleased with you. Because you saw them the way they were. You cannot come there and say you want to enforce tongues on that church. You can't do that. You'll be wrong. Leave them alone. You get what I'm saying? Leave them alone. Go to a place where you, you know, Acts 4.23, being let go, they, they went to their own company. Then find your own company and stay with them. However, even your own company, you all are not going to agree on the same things. Everything. You will not agree on everything. But you must agree on the basics. If the basics are intact, that's fine. You see what I'm talking about? Every other thing, believe me, you will soon find out that you are the one who is wrong. But if it's on the basics, so you must agree. In this church, we believe in the death, the burial, and resurrection of Christ. Don't we? We believe in the death, the burial, and resurrection of Christ. We believe in the coming of the Lord Jesus. Jesus is coming back. We believe it. Uh-huh. In this church, we believe there is a hell to shun and a heaven to gain. We believe that hell is a place. Hell fire, 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 fire. Because some people have a funny doctrine this and say, hell is not God cannot be a good God. How can he have how can he create hell? Well, I, I would rather choose to believe there is a hell and then find out there is no hell. It's better that way than to find out there is a hell and you are born in there. <laughs> you know, some things don't really cost you anything. Are you getting what I'm talking about now? I say, you know, hell. It's a lake. You know, the Greek, the Septuagint. Whoa. <laughs> yeah, we believe there is hell. We believe there is heaven. In this church, we also believe there is eternal rewards. And it's no money, it's no house. Uh, ask anybody, what is eternal reward that you are waiting for? Some of us think, I, I eventually, eventually, I wish I have dollars one day. At the judgment seat. <laughs> now I don't lose. So. <laughs> you see what I'm saying now? Uh, we believe in eternal rewards. And we know what God rewards is the work of ministry. Our labor of love. That's what he says. He will not, he is not unjust to forget it. In that you have ministered to the saints and you do minister, sir. And he said, therefore, let us not be weary in what? In well doing. For in due season, if we find out which are what? Uh-huh. He said, behold, I come, my reward is with me. To give to every man according as his work shall be. So his work shall be. So you, it's, it's at the judgment seat, we will see the work for what it is. <laughs> you can be singing now, singing now, everybody's hearing the song, but he sees the heart. So he will prove it for what it is. He said, Every man's work will be tested by fire. 
And he says, some people, their work will be burnt. So by the time they pass through, the work is taken through the test of fire, nothing is remaining. Only the voice. Oh. That's when the man who thought he was doing ministry as a banker, and he calls banking his ministry, that's, that one, they don't even need to put it inside fire. <laughs> There's nothing to put. I was like, There's nothing. I don't have anything to test. <laughs> That's when he realized that, oh God, not be like that too. It's like somebody in an examination hall that is supposed to write chemistry exam and is answering with, you know, answers for English. He went to read brighter grammar to prepare for a chemistry exam. And then on the exam day, he submits. There's nothing to mark. He said, because this is an essay. This, is not, this, this exam is not an essay. It's, it's chemical issues we are talking about here. <laughs> and that's why one of the things a local church owes a believer is to actually equip you for ministry to help you recognize what is the call of God for what it is and you will notice that Paul, the churches that Paul was privileged to found by the Holy Ghost the Colossian church particularly you see how he's speaking to the church in his letter and he says to them there's one brother amongst you called Archippus tell him so it means those people he's giving that instruction to, they are already doing ministry. So he's telling them, tell Akipo, so let him join you and be doing ministry now. Because as a ministry has received a lot, he should take it to it. Some people are Akipos in the body of Christ. Maybe Akipos had gone after some other things. Has gone into all kinds of things and is probably calling different things his ministry now. So Paul says, tell him, oh, tell him, oh, there's a ministry in the Lord. That one is doing is not in the Lord. Banking is not in the Lord. Banking is for all men. Saved and unsaved. Haven't you noticed all of your bosses are not saved? So if banking or... Let me leave banking because it's not only bankers now. <laughs> IT, tech, law, uh, medicine. Uh-huh. That one is very close. They say, ah, you know, this is a calling. We say calling. Because the sacrifice we make is a very sacrificial work. That's the truth. But listen, medicine is not a calling in Christ. It's a profession. A noble one. We are encouraged to do good work. I mean, to find a honest work to do. Ephesians 4, 28. Let him that stole still no more, but rather let him work with his hands that which is good. Did you see? That he may have to give to him that needeth. So it tells you there, look for noble things to do. Professions like that. It's very beautiful. It will give you more avenues to meet people and then it will also give you influence on those people with which you can actually preach Christ to them, with which you can actually help them to grow in the things of God. So that preaching Christ to them and helping them grow in the things of God is the ministry. That your profession gives you the avenue for it. Are you getting what I'm saying now? So it will be wrong to now mix those things up like that. I tell you, many in the body of Christ have got that one wrong. Sadly so. And it is a function of a dis. If I is a dysfunction of a lo- of local churches, because pastors, many pastors teach that error. Many pastors in the body of Christ teach that error. They say, you know, your profession is your calling. Very grave error. And I've always told you, the fact that something is popular doesn't mean it is right. The loudest voice is not the right voice most times, and in this case. Because we see in scriptures, people who were professionals. Paul had many of them. He never for once referred to any of them 
as a minister based on their profession. Rather, he recognized them that this guy is a Erastus, the, the, the city treasurer, the chamberlain. Did you see that? But this Erastus was a preacher of the gospel. Priscilla and Aquila, tent makers, but they never called their tent making their ministry. Never. Never. Paul himself made tents. Did you see? When you read Romans 16, Paul listed many names. Paul had people who were professionals, skillful men in different things, but their profession was never called their ministry. Luke, the physician, a very ardent follower of Apostle Paul, a student of Apostle Paul. Did you see that? That's, of course, the reason why the book of Acts has more about Paul from chapter 9. He forgot everybody else. Who are you? Who you help? <laughs> he focused on his teacher. And that's the issue, truly. These are things that are patterns in the, in the word of God for you. You can't be a member of a church, a follower of your pastor, and it's another man of God that you're always posting. Doesn't make sense. Did Luke post Peter? He does speak a few things, Peter, there and say, Could I do me as if we do mention your name, sir? We honor you as the, our first pastor. <laughs> he said, Well, he's Paul. Paul. Paul is Paul that taught me. Followed Paul closely. So be like Luke. When we go to your page, we should know who you are following from there. What are you posting? Not that you are seeing my post, you are passing by it. You are passing by my post, but you're going to be posting today at not. What is left of you now? <laughs> oh, Christian brother. Oh, Christian sister. What is left of you? <laughs> eh? You're going to be liking Don Jazzy. Eh? La Sisi. People cannot contribute anything to your spiritual life and growth. That's in your pastor's post. You see the post of your church. Say, so I don't want to share it so that people will not think I'm fanatic. What, what should you be? If not a fanatic. Jesus is not a secret to be kept. The word of God is not a secret to be kept. Your local church is not a secret to be kept. You got to publish it. As an example, we see in scriptures. That's what people did. Are you seeing this? So Luke was a physician, but there was nowhere in the Bible that they called his medical profession his calling. Never. Rather, you see him involved in ministry. Actively. Dedicatedly involved in the ministry. As a physician. So you can be a doctor and be a pastor. You can be a doctor and be a preacher. You can be a banker and be a strong support in the gospel. And when I say support, I'm not talking about, uh, you know, we can't go, but our money will go. Uh, so Jesus died for your money. If you, the money with the Holy Ghost. You don't understand that one of the implications of being filled with the Holy Spirit is ministry. You were filled so that you can do ministry. Acts 1 8, ye shall receive power after that ye, after that you have received the Holy Ghost, and ye shall be witnesses. Ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. That's the thing there. We've been quoting you since 11 years old. <laughs> ye shall receive power. That's one of my first scriptures to use to preach as young evangelists. After that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses of me in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the uttermost part. And Judea and to the uttermost part of the earth. So the Holy Ghost filled you so that you can do ministry. So you cannot say, We can't go, our money will go. It is not your money that you fill with the Spirit. 
If he wanted your money to go instead of you, he would have filled your money instead of you. But it is you that the Holy Ghost has come upon. Therefore, it is you that must preach. And then you give your money to support. So both you and your money must go. This they did first. They gave themselves to us by the will of God. Gave themselves to the Lord um, to, to the Lord and gave themselves to us according to the will of God. Second Corinthians 8 5. Did you see? They gave themselves first to the Lord and to us by the will of God. And then they entreated us with much entreaty that we will receive their gifts. The Macedonians. They gave themselves to the Lord, gave themselves to the apostles by the will of God, and then they still gave their substance. So they never, the Macedonians didn't say, you know, <laughs> our money will go for us. No, no. They gave themselves to the Lord. And then they gave themselves to the apostles by the will of God. Meaning, you can't say you gave yourself to God outside of man. What it means is the way they gave themselves to the Lord was by giving themselves to the apostles. That's the meaning. Are you getting that now? So there's nothing like, I follow God, I follow God, I follow no man. You are not following no God if you are not following the man. There is no way to follow God without following men. Are you hearing this? And this they did not as we hope, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us by the will of God. That's the balance equation. And then they gave their substance. Did you see? With much entreaty, praying us that we will receive. They were saying, look, you guys, you are in a great affliction right now. Don't give. They said, sir, we must still give. Allow us give, sir. Don't pity us, in other words. Don't look us less, less. No people who you say, don't give, you know, we know you are in great affliction, great trial right now. Things are tight right now. You say, oh, thank you, sir. For no- thank you for understanding. Eh? Thank you. And he's putting his hand back in his pocket. Thank you. Ah, thank you. At least we know where this one we leave, you know, manage us to. Thank you, sir. Right? The most caring pastor in this life. They are not like all those pastors, hungry pastors. Eh? Every time, give, 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 give. <laughs> <laughs> you think that pastor that did allow you to give liked you? Is he better than Paul? Does he know the Bible more than Paul? We oh, start from verse one. <laughs> are you one of these people who are running away from offering? Why? Are you? <laughs> Moreover, brother, we do you with to, to, of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of where? Verse two. How that in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty. Did you see deep poverty? You know, there's poverty, there's deep one. This deep poverty. Can you imagine that? And he says, it abounded unto the riches of their labor. He didn't about to complain. It. They didn't say, ah, see, now by time we give what is left now. You know, people will give as if God is bullying them. What is left now? Even Kuku doesn't give now. Eh? He can see your heart now. And he will say, why do you like to be really good? I don't want to die like an Ananias, you. <laughs> Child, let's give him. Nah. <laughs> But notice what they did. For to their power, Paul said, I bear record, yea, and beyond their power, they were willing of them. Tell them, say, be always willing of yourself. Yeah. In, other words, in other words, be the one to walk on your own willingness. Don't put yourself in positions where you need other people to help you get willing. Once that happens, you are not really, be, be willing of yourself. Don't, you know, that they have to toast you, toast you before you can be willing. No. Praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministry of the saints. And I was just saying, don't count us out of this. If everybody is doing it, everybody is instructed to be a giver, we must be part of it. 
don't look, don't look at our situation and say because of that you want to pity us and exempt us from this. No, we are going to. That's what it means. They're saying it's a fellowship. So giving is a fellowship. Fellowship means that which is common to all in a union. Giving is common to all believers. Are you hearing what I'm saying now? Yep. And look at all these folks, all these people. They were doing the work and they were also giving to, towards the work. So none should replace the other. So, you know, we are busy, we are busy, we are busy. God knows this is our own calling. My altar, my pulpit is in my, in my office. There is no altar in your office, sir. Hmm? Preach the gospel. Terrible. Just very soft elbow. Say preach, 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 preach. So we believe that here. Yeah. We believe everybody must preach the gospel. Now, notice what we are not saying. We are not saying everybody will become a pastor on the pulpit. No. No. Now, I was telling mom yesterday, I said, uh, there's somebody, one of our sons in the church, and I said, the way I've seen him, I pastored him for many years. I said, I don't see him as somebody who has a calling on the pulpit. You see what I'm saying? There are people like that. They don't have any calling. Some of you will never stand on the pulpit if Jesus comes. But you know, you, but you must not but preach to somebody. You have to preach. But it doesn't have to be on the pulpit. So we may never be there. There's no big, it's not as if, I mean, if all of us have to be on the pulpit, so who will sit down here and be listening to somebody? As I laugh at some ministries I've seen over the years, that every time they are in their service, they, the pastor feels pressured to give everybody something to say. So if a guest comes in like this, he's looking for, how can I, where do we put him in our program? You will now start creating what does not exist. Say, shall come and say your own. I, I don't understand. This thing, are they using it to entertain visitors? Is it for hospitality? You hear what I'm saying? Say, uh, uh, we have the man of God here. So let's give him, let's welcome him, welcome him for like 10 minutes. Let him just share something. Uh, this, and that also, when the cuckoo didn't have anything, God is telling him. He will just come and say, hey, what's something can I share? Then he just say, ah, you know, that's how yesterday I was watching African Magic. And you know, and the Lord spoke to me from there. Oga, oh Oga, oh Oga. Oh <laughs> in this church, we don't believe in that. Though. We don't believe in that. <laughs> we don't believe in that. Here, we are organized people. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We don't just bring anybody to just come and say his own. We allow the Holy Ghost speak through those that He has appointed here. And that's why, if you see anybody stand on the pulpit in this church to minister, you've got to receive, all right, with your whole heart. Because nobody can come here if they were not given that delegated authority to do so. And when I say delegated authority, it can't happen without my knowledge. That's my duty as a senior pastor of a church. How can somebody be on my pulpit and I, I'm not aware? If I'm online, God forbid that ever happens, I will just begin to call certain persons and say, what happened to your eyes? You cannot see. Who is that fellow there? Oh yeah, off the mic, off it, off it, off it. <laughs> Off the mic, off the mic. Tell him to get down. If he doesn't want to get down, call a few of the ushers there. Tell him to carry him and find somewhere to put him there and let him, let him be on his way. <laughs> yeah, I was watching the bishop earlier in the year at the minister's conference online. And bishop was talking to some of his sons. And he said, God forbid now. You can imagine you now. I give you microphone to Peter. And you now start speaking against miracle signs and wonders. He said, you will never come back here again. <laughs> I will not even let you allow, I will allow you to finish the message. <laughs> say, we'll talk, collect the mic from you immediately. I said, never come back here again. No return. 
exercising his authority. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. You know, say, somebody say, uh, uh, somebody's preaching, saying that, that, that. What should you say? What should you say? Bwari, 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 or what? He <laughs> <laughs> says, saying that too much. Is he fine to that too? What should you refer to? Guru Maharaj, you That he's mentioning that, that, that. He's telling you where he's drinking from. And it's only a spirit of Judas and devil that will make a person feel uncomfortable with that. What's your problem with that? I said, over the years, you hear me repeating that digging, that digging. If it's paining you, you should go and find somebody that is going to bless your life and talk about it whenever you like. I can't stop talking about it. I can't, you can't say I'm talking too much about my father and the Lord. Why should I not talk about my father and the Lord? Who should I talk about? Somebody who's not my father. That's ministry. Yes, sir. You just need to let, that's what I'm saying. If you come to the church and you're saying things, like, just, if you don't understand something, ask. Don't begin to do like pig. <laughs> now nah, it's part of correction. <laughs> when I was a younger pastor, you know, ministry is a very amazing place. Though. You see all kinds of things. When I was a younger pastor. I used to care too much about the faces of people when I'm preaching. Not anymore. Ah, you should have come before before if you wanted to be doing that. <laughs> when I was still young in the ministry, they call it. Ah, now, this wine is getting older and sweeter and very intoxicating. If I'm preaching like this, you don't like what I'm saying. No matter how strong your feet, my calling is stronger than your face. <laughs> you know, there's a church where they say they used to allow people to write their feedback and they would send it to the pastor. So one person sent an anonymous note and he just wrote full. On Sunday morning, the pastor came to church. He said, well, somebody wrote a note, very blunt, very honest, but if he only wrote his name, he forgot to write the content. <laughs> <laughs> Some of you have not got it, have you? Don't worry, on your way, you know, like those two guys on their way to Emmaus. I said, did that? That's not born. <laughs> <laughs> you know the mistake a lot of people make sometimes is that you think that you will always agree with your teacher to learn from him no if, I, if you always agree with everything and nothing challenges you or challenges what you've always known you are not learning you are not learning when Jesus came, people had issues with some of the things Jesus said. John 6, if I talk about you must eat my flesh, drink my blood, otherwise you have no life in you. And people were like, what is this? The Bible says from that point, all of them stopped following him. Now what? He's going to give us his flesh to eat. Are we cannibals? And Jesus is an amazing man. He didn't explain himself. You would have thought he would be bothered. That, hey, hey, hey. <laughs> See how they are reacting to this teaching. And then he looks at the twelve. He said, what are you waiting for? You should have left too. Or you think I'm going to change what I'm saying? I'm not going to change it. Ah! And then Peter spoke and said, where shall we go actually? With you are the words of life. In other words, we, we may not really understand the meaning of this teaching. But we, we, we know along the line eventually, you, we will grow up to understand it. There are some things you will not understand until you grow. So, 
you stay on the path and, and, and keep learning. Some corrections are like that. They just tell you, don't do that. Don't do that. And you're wondering, why? Let me show you. Sometimes over the years in my pastoral work, I found that there are cases where I myself don't even know why. But all I just know is that the Holy Ghost is saying, don't approve of that thing. And I'm wondering, even myself, when the person is asking, but sir, why not? Even me, I don't have the answer to why there's a disapproval. But that's just what I sense in my spirit. And in most cases, I found that years after, we saw the reason why. Also, unfortunately, there are cases where the persons didn't listen. And that's too bad. You see, it's too bad. You know, it's one of the reasons why I always emphasize here that we must protect the purity and the sanctity of the operations of the Spirit. And one of the ways to do that is to be sincere. Never say the Lord said when the Lord did not say. Are you getting what I'm saying now? Never say God said when God didn't say. And I've also told you, even when God said, be careful, both as a leader and as a follower. I believe a leader should be responsible enough to know that you're working with teams, with people. Because the moment you say God said, you're not open to counsel anymore. Even as a leader. It's better to use the word I perceive. Because when I say I perceive, what it shows is that I haven't concluded. Therefore, I am open to the impute of others. But the moment I say God said, I'm close to counsel. I'm close to counsel. So you've got to understand that. That's one of the ways to protect the purity of the operations of the Holy Ghost in the local church. And even in your own personal life. Your husband who always tells his wife, God said, God said, God said, he's shutting her up. That's what he's doing. You're shutting your wife up. You don't want her to say anything. That's what you're doing. God said, God said, God said, God said. How about you try telling your wife and say, uh, baby, I perceive in my heart. You can even say, I think. That way, she can still say something. But the way you come and say, and you, and you know some are very dramatic. <laughs> Just wake up in the morning, he's looking very serious and he, he's waiting for the wife to ask what's going on. <laughs> you know, she says, hey, babes, how are you this morning? Says, very well, fine. <laughs> you know, what do you want to have for breakfast? Oh, I, 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 right now, you know, my spirit is, uh, you know, <laughs> you know, there's a holy hunger inside of me. And then she now says, is there anything the Lord is saying? Ha ha! The Lord. <laughs> you are a drama king. <laughs> And I tell you, when a person begins to do that, you see, you can't be led by the Spirit and at the same time draw attention to yourself. It's not possible. You can't be led by the Spirit and be drawing attention. If you're drawing attention to yourself, it's not the leading of the Spirit anymore. You know? That's why I personally have issues with prophets or so-called 
who like to come out after something has happened and said, I prophesied it. And they'll do a post of the video they did before the thing happened. You don't need that. All that is calling attention to yourself. <clears throat> you know, it's calling attention to yourself. Why do you need to tell everybody? It's better if some other persons found it and said, wow, this man got saved. That's what happened in the case of Jesus' ministry. Jesus spoke to the fig tree, dried up. Jesus wasn't the one who said, look at the picture I curse. He's dried up to the root. No, he's going. He's, he's going to the next thing. The disciples are the ones who said, wow, the picture that the master cursed yesterday. He's dried up to the roots. Whoa. That's the right way it should be. It's not you that should be doing posts everywhere. I said it in the year. I prophesied and I said, and the Lord has done it. Okay, so therefore, what are you not trying to say? Behold, the prophet is among you. I'm more than a prophet. That's what you're trying to do. You're drawing the attention to yourself. The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy, not the testimony of a man. That is the prophet, the spirit of prophecy is to point to Christ, not to point to a man. That's what it means. Prophecy testifies of Christ, not to authenticate your calling. Huh? Your calling is authenticated by the call. That's why you got to know it. You're called. Stop trying to look for people to, uh, to approve that you're called. You should know it. You see Paul's writing. Paul, an apostle, not of men, but of God. Of God. Of God. There are many apostles of men. All the validation they have to their calling is what men have said. And that's the danger there because one day men will change what they are saying about you. And since that was what you depended on for your approval and conviction of your calling, once they change it, then it means there's no calling again. But there's one person who never changes his decision about your calling, and that's the God, the caller himself. And so you must let your confidence come from him. Are you hearing what I'm saying right now? These are corrections already. I'm just bringing it out for you. Are you taking it? So what are the benefits of correction? Number one, correction eliminates foolishness. Correction eliminates foolishness. 2215 Proverbs. Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. Notice it doesn't just drive it from him. It drives it far from him. So when you see people who are never corrected or who never take correction, there is still foolishness in their hearts. But when you're corrected and you receive correction, it says the rod of correction drives foolishness far away. Foolishness is a very deadly thing. Foolishness is a very deadly thing. It's not good to be foolish. I tell you, it's not good to be foolish at all. At all. In life, foolishness can kill faster than many things. The, prob the problem with people is they don't realize foolishness kills in installments. So people think it's not deadly. It kills in installments. Foolishness administers slow death to people. Just begins to touch on everything. Begins to shut things down, shut things down before it eventually does a general shutdown. There's a man in the Bible called Nabal. Married a wonderful woman by the name of Abigail. And that story always leaves me asking the question, why do wise women marry foolish men? Sometimes. Because you're wondering, why, how did she end up with that kind of man? How did a big girl marry that kind of idiot? You'll be amazed to know the story because few days after what he did against David, he died. Let's go see it. 
So look at somebody saying that you say foolishness is not good for you. So if I say, say wisdom looks very good on you, brother. <laughs> First Samuel 25. First Samuel 25. And uh, of course, you know much of a story. In verse 10, and Nabal answered David's servants. So what, what happened? Because I know many of us don't like reading Old Testament stories. But I made you read uh, Gideon's story today in Judges 6, 7, and 8. How many of you have read those three chapters today? Did you, did you get blessed by it? Did you? Amazing story, isn't it? You know, you saw, you know I, I like to. Excellence means to go beyond what is required, you know. Um, I pushed it to 9 and 10. Read about what happened after Gideon died. Gideon had 70 sons. Do you see? 70 sons. All right? And he had one son. Did you see? Jotham. That he, 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 he had with a woman outside. You know, he had many wives anyway. Did you see that? Amazingly, the man had no daughter. And so sometimes when you hear people say they are looking for daughter, looking for, I mean, looking for son, looking for son. In Gideon's case, he's looking for daughter, looking for daughter. All right? And his children didn't do well. That one son he had from a fling killed all the 70 sons. It's in your Bible. You see that? It's in your Bible. So it's, I look at it. it's not Nollywood, though. It's, it's in the Bible. <laughs> but that's all right. That's all right. But these are real things that happened. Did you see what I'm saying? All right. So you read these stories. There's a lot of wisdom. The Bible says these things were written at four times for our learning. There are many things to learn when you read some of those stories. And all of those children didn't end well. Did you see? Never ended well. Anyway, so, and Nabal answered. So, the background to the story, that's why I'm sorry. Because many of you probably don't know the background of the story. The men of David helped Nabal. They helped him. And you would expect him to be grateful. So, his servants now told him and said, let's show some kindness to David's men. Did you see? Let's start from it. Ask thy young men and they will show thee. Wherefore, let the young men find favor in thine eyes. For we come in a good day. Give, I pray thee, whatsoever cometh to thine hand, unto thy servants and to thy son David. They will refer to him as an old man. They gave him respect and they called David his son. And when David's young men came, they spoke to Nabal according to all those words in the name of David and cease. See his answer. And Nabal answered David's servants and said, Who is David? And who is the son of Jesse? He said, There be many servants nowadays that break away every man from his master. Say that one that he did not finish, he did not collect freedom. <laughs> That's what he said here. <laughs> he said he didn't even wait to collect freedom from his master. He is calling himself somebody. He said he has boys. That's what he said here. So where is David? Shall I then take my bread and my water and my flesh that I have killed for my sharers and give it unto men whom I know not whence they be? Like, who are you? You get what I'm saying? So David's young men turned their way and went again hey, and came and told him all those things. And David said unto his men, Gird ye on every man his sword. <laughs> David. <laughs> See, battle is in his spirit. Warfare is in his blood. Any sporty, let's go and fight. <laughs> hey. <laughs> He said, and they guarded, they guarded on every man his sword, and David also guarded on his sword. And they went up after David about 400 men. And 200 abode by the stuff. So he let 200 people at home, he took 400 out. So we're going to march down everywhere. He's asking, who am I? I will show him. <laughs> but how many know what David is about to do here? And this is a very interesting story. He's also wrong. 
is also foolish. Do you see this? And you will see David also receiving correction in this. Look at this now. But one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, saying, Behold, David sent messengers out of the wilderness to salute our master. And he railed on them. So that one knew the evil that is about to befall them. So he said, Your husband, I insulted David. Ha! But the, man, but the men were very good unto us, and that's the issue. And we were not hurt. Neither missed we anything as long as we were conversant with them when we were in the fields. They were a wall unto us, both by night and day. All the while we were with them, keeping the sheep. Now therefore know and consider what thou will do. For evil is determined against our master. <laughs> you see what foolishness brings? Certain evil. <laughs> and against all his household for he is such a son of Belial even his followers knew he said he is such a son of Belial that a man cannot speak to him if you read him if you read earlier in first Samuel this is exactly what the Bible says about sons of Belial he said they are like thorns they cannot be handled with hands they, they never listen so you have to toss them out as rejects so when you say verse 9, they say nobody can speak to him as the son of Belial. You see that? He said, he's such a son of Belial or Belial that a man cannot speak to him. Then Abigail made haste, see wise woman, and took 200 loaves. She's a giver of gifts. And two bottles of wine. Five, and five sheep ready dressed. And five measures of parched corn. And, and 100 clusters of raisins. And 200 cakes of figs and laid them on an ass. Even me, my mouth is watering now. And she said unto her servants, go on before me. Behold, I come after you. But she told not her husband Nabal. Because the fool. And it was so as she rode on the house that she came down by the covert of the hill. And behold, David and his men came down against her. And she met them. Now David had said, surely in vain have I kept all that this fellow hath in the wilderness. So that nothing was missed of all that pertained unto him. And he had requited me evil for good. And so, so and more also do God unto the enemies of David. If I leave all that pertain to him by the morning light, any that pisseth against the world, I will kill every man. Kill them all. And when Abigail saw David, she hasted and lighted up the house and fell before David on her face and bowed herself to the ground. She understands the language of honor. She knows how to turn the wrath of a man away. The Bible says a soft answer. Turn it away, turn it away wrath. Did you see? And the Bible says, and fell at his feet and said, upon me, my Lord, upon me, let this iniquity be. Hey. Did you see? And let thine handmaid, I pray thee, speak in thine audience. And hear the words of thine handmaid. So she's not going there to start talking. She's asking for permission. Can I speak? Can I speak? She didn't come with such, you know, rashness and brashness and say, hear me, hear me, hear me. Let me tell you something. <laughs> I have something to say, sir. Can I? May I? My Lord, may I? I may, may I, can I, may I? <laughs> you see, <laughs> if, I, if I may, my Lord. If I, if I may, my Lord. And the word of the Lord tells us there, he says, let not my Lord, I pray thee, regard this man of Belial, even Nabal, for as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. He's a fool. He's a big fool. But I, I, thine handmaid, saw not the young men of my Lord, whom thou didst say. In other words, if I had seen them, all this would not happen. Now, therefore, my Lord, as the Lord liveth, come and see what now. And as thy soul liveth, seeing the Lord at withholding thee from coming to shed blood, 
He has not said I'm not going to do it. But she's already acknowledging that I, I, God has already used me to stop you. Let, let's just take it that my intervention here is God. See wisdom. And then she said, seeing the Lord and withholding thee from coming to God and from avenging thyself with thy own hand, now let thine enemies and they that seek evil to my Lord be as neighbor. And now this blessing with thy handmaid that brought unto, the, unto my Lord, let it be given unto the young men that follow my Lord. So look at what she has done. What they requested, she brought it. That's how to say sorry. The best apology is change. The best apology is change. Not just say I'm sorry. The best way to apologize is to change. Adjust yourself. So adjust yourself. You've got to understand that just saying sorry doesn't mean there will not be consequences. Sorry is just cuts you. It doesn't, you know, I mean, when you just say it, it's just cuts you. It must be backed up with change. Change of behavior, change of action. That's what you, how you say sorry. Now, I don't like getting politics, but I believe the gross injustice done to the, small, the, the, the smaller population <clears throat> in Nigeria, the southeast and all that. Number one, unfortunately, the country has not even said sorry. But it's not about saying it. It's about changing the way things are done to restructure the country. That's the truth. It's not by just mouth. I'm not supporting any candidate. That's the truth of it. Ideally, somebody from the Southeast should be president next. That's the truth of it. And that's the real way to say sorry to the Southeast. Just telling you now. Unfortunately, the ideal hardly ever happens in Nigeria. Just take that as a proverb. Say amen, everybody. I've just told you the truth. It takes a while for ideals to become reality. It's never going to happen overnight. Especially when there are wicked people in power. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Because when wounds are neglected, they get deeper. They get deeper. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Yeah. There is a way things are done, you know. So, uh, let's leave that alone. Say you shall have PVC. I say say you have PVC. Speak up now. I know some of you don't even know history. So when I say there's injustice done, there's some people say, which injustice they do? <laughs> there's a lot of injustice. That's the truth. The equation of this country is not balanced at all. Has never been, and it shouldn't be that way. The world has advanced beyond, you know, sharing things based on how many states are from this side of the country or not. The son of anybody or nobody should be able to become somebody anywhere. We should wipe out and abolish what is called state of origin. Right? Nigerian period. In America, these people say they are from this state or that state, but it doesn't really count. Are you getting what I'm saying? We'll get there one day. Hopefully, if you have not jackpot by then. <laughs> so say, Dad, me are jackpot. Jackpot. <laughs> Jackpot to where things are equal. <laughs> oh my God. And that's why I say people, the truth is, you don't really need necessarily a Christian to be president. You need a just man to be president. You don't rule a nation by Bible. You rule by justice. 
fairness as how to rule. That's, the, that's what governance re- requires. Justness, fairness, all right, equity. Yeah. Not and there are people who are not born again who are just and, equ- and they, they are people who practice equity. That's the truth. Are you getting what I'm saying now? I'm just saying, you know, all I can do for you as your pastor is to guide you. All right. And you, are, you can tell when a person is not really going to be a good leader. All the ways you know a person who cannot be a good leader is if he's too excited to go there. He can't be a leader. Leadership comes with body, not excitement. When they want to make a leader like this, you'll be saying, what's all this? I want to live my life in peace. But when you say a person, chapter 100 million, he has bought from. Anyway, so. <laughs> That's the truth. It's a, it's a heavy body. They say, uneasy lies the head that wears the crown. To pastor a few hundreds of people, I know what it means. Not talk of being the president of over 200 million people. Knowing fully well that there are people that will never be pleased with whatever good you do. They will insult you, insult your father, your mother, your ancestors, the children that you are about to have, the ones you, that you, those ones will also have, and the ones that those ones, those ones will have, you know, until all generations. They will cause you to do everything to you. That's why I notice that when the person becomes a president or a governor, there is a divine protection for them. Otherwise, the causes of people should have killed and finished them. But there's a divine protection, I'm telling you. Like you just be talking, the man will just be there. You say, God, should not kill him, he should die. If I, not, as the president is saying, fellow Nigerian, say, God, turn the fire, fellow, fellow fire, follow you there. <laughs> fellow fire, kill you there. <laughs> if all those things can affect them, the man will not die on the broadcast. <laughs> but he is a minister of God. He's in the Bible, Romans 13. So there's a protection for him. Hmm? So I'm saying this now because who knows? Some of you may become governor, president, if it's in your plan in the future. And because the person who is a Christian who became a governor, somebody was his pastor years back. He didn't teach him. He didn't disciple him well. So if you, if you, ever, if you ever become a government official, you cannot say, I didn't teach you. So when they are saying, fellow Nigeria, I kill you there, just know that me, I'm sitting down somewhere saying, come on, come on, come on. But I know you, you will not finish uh, if you become anything. And that's why it's believe like three of you are from HOF and you are in House of Assembly. And then one of you, God forbid, is supporting wrong things. God is seeing us. God is seeing us. God will judge us at the judgment seat. <laughs> he said, Dad did not teach us like this. Dad, you know, your, your stomach is getting bigger. Our salary is not this big. Oh. Our salary is not this big. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, so I'll begin that. <laughs> so he said, Now, therefore, my Lord, as the Lord liveth and as I so live, I see the Lord that we told you in verse 27. And now, this blessing, verse 28, I pray thee, forgive the trespass of thine handmaid. She's making it up issue. Forgive the trespass of the army, for the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house. It means she got enough information about who she was going to talk to. Because my Lord fighted the battles of the Lord, and evil has not been found in thee all, all thy days. Yet a man is risen to pursue thee and to seek thy soul. But the soul of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of life with the Lord thy God. 
Hear what she now says. And the souls of thy enemies, them shall he sling out as out of the middle of his sling. And it shall come to pass when the Lord shall have done to my Lord according to all good, all the good that he has spoken concerning thee, and shall have appointed thee rule over Israel, that this shall be no grief unto thee, nor offense of heart unto my Lord, either that thou hast shed blood causeless, or that my Lord hath avenged himself. Because she was trying to tell him in a very indirect way that what you are about to do is also foolish. Considering your future. You know, some things will, you will gain perspective when you juxtapose it with where God is taking you. And that's what she's trying to say to David. Every, every other person can just take revenge because they don't have anywhere they are going. But people like you, because of tomorrow, this thing, if you do it now, there's an effect it's going to have tomorrow. That's what she's saying. She's speaking to him. Let me tell you something. That's the voice of a mother. That's the voice of a mother trying to say, you can't do this. I know you're angry now. You, you have a right. You know I mean, this guy is really... But if you do this now, sincerely, in light of what... Otherwise, they say, certainly God will make you... He will make you a sure house. But this thing can affect it. So don't avenge yourself. That's wisdom. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And then, in verse 30... Two, and David said to Abigail, I love this. Uh, okay, let, I, 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 there's something I don't want to miss. But when the Lord shall have dealt well with my Lord, <laughs> Abigail is one too. Then remember thine handmaid. <laughs> <laughs> However way you want to remember me, shall remember me. He <laughs> said, I'm here. I'm your guy. Now, she, she might not have had that intention of being his wife. Maybe perhaps an advisor, a special advisor. Because she has given him good advice here. And you will know because his response was, and David said to Abigail, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, which sent thee this day to meet me. And blessed be thy advice. Blessed be thy advice. And blessed be thou, which has kept me this day from coming to shed blood and from avenging myself with my own hand. For in every deed, as the Lord God of Israel lived, which had kept me back from hurting thee, except thou hast hasted and come to meet me. Surely they had not been left unto Nabal by the morning light, any that pissed against the wall. <laughs> so he still told her, this is what I would have done, no. But because of you. So David received of her hand that which she had brought. Did you see all that? And Abigail came to Nabal, and behold, 36, he held a fist in his house. Very foolish man. Let's go to 40. And when the servants of David were come to Abigail, to Carmel, they spake unto her, saying, David sent us unto thee to take thee to him. Sorry, I skipped something very important there. And it came to pass, verse 38, about 10 days after that the Lord smote Nabal that he died. How many days after? So it took 10 days for foolishness to kill him. Did you see? A foolish man will die by himself. Don't kill him. His foolishness is his death. It's his death sentence. David would have made a mistake. Are you getting this? Of course. You know. A few days after, David sent a proposal. He bent the knee and he got a yes. <laughs> So he remembered her. He remembered her. Just as he requested from him. He remembered her and he took her to wife. He took her to wife. As for the foolish man, that was the end of his life. Foolishness kills. 
Did you see that? And it is foolish to reject correction. But when you embrace correction, correction drives away fully. It was her correction that drove the foolishness away from David's heart. He was about to also do something stupid. But he received correction and the foolishness went far away from him. Are you seeing this tonight? Number two benefit of correction. Correction yields the fruit of righteousness. Correction yields the fruit of righteousness. Hebrews 12, 11. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. The fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. In James 3.18, he says, And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. So correction yields the fruit of righteousness. <clears throat> That's not, he's not talking about right standing with God. He's talking about right living, right ways, right perception, or right perspective. In 2 Corinthians 7, verse 8 to 11, you see how Paul expounds on that. For though I made you sorry, Paul is speaking to the Corinthians after he had rebuked them in his first letter. He now writes this second letter to them. He said, for though I made you sorry with a letter. So notice again, correction is not going to be comfortable. So Paul says, when I corrected you, you guys felt sad. So don't think it's strange when you are corrected and it doesn't feel good. That's exactly what it's supposed to be. That's the point. That's the point. He says, for though I made you sorry with the letter, I do not repent. Though I did repent, for I perceive that the same epistle hath made you sorry, though it were but for a season. Now I rejoice, Paul said, not that ye were sorry. So Paul is saying, yeah, I'm glad that you got a correction, but I'm not a sadist. So it's not as if I'm excited that you are sorrowful. That's not the point. So Paul says, now I rejoice not that you were made sorry, but that ye sorrowed to repentance. So Paul is saying the point is not your sadness. The point is what it led to. Did you see now? For ye were made sorry after a godly manner, that ye might receive damage by us in nothing. For godly sorrow walketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of. That was not to be regretted. So Paul is making a contradistinction. There is godly sorrow and there is an ungodly sorrow. So this godly sorrow, in other words, this is not condemnation. This is not guilt. This is not damnation. So when a believer does wrong, it is okay and it is expected for you to feel bad. It is called godly sorrow. Godly sorrow. If you are being corrected and the words are so heavy that you feel sad afterwards, it is in line with the word of God. What did you expect when you're being corrected? A comedy show? No. There's got to be godly sorrow. I feel a lot of times in the birth of Christ, many Christians have not been allowed to really repent. And that's why I know that the burden of meeting out correction is not only a burden for the one who is being corrected, it's a burden to the one giving it also. When as a father you correct your child, that's not the time to be smiling with them. And the fact that you can't smile and play as usual is a burden to you too. And that's one of the things I feel many parents, young parents don't understand in this generation. If you see a parent who spoils their children, 
one of the problems they have is they don't know how to carry that burden of correction. Because you're missing them. You want to play with them again. So instead of you allowing that child to really get into a remorseful state of mind, you, you draw them back too soon. And then you just, you, just, you just push aside the issue. And then you want to start playing again. You are already spoiling that child. You must also share in that body. It's not time to play. Leave the child alone. Let him think about the correction you just gave him. Let, him, let that correction sink in that child. And that means you also will feel the burden of not being able to play with that child for a while. Unfortunately, a lot of people themselves are still babies. So the play they want to play with their children is more important to them than the development of that child, than the adjustment the child should make. Now, I'm not saying you keep malice with your children. No. I'm saying you give room for repentance. It's the same thing many people have carried into relationships. Huh? Somebody has done you wrong. Did you see? Your spouse or your in courtship or in marriage or something like that. Give them time to repent. Allow time to repent. Forgiveness is one thing. Repentance is another. If a relationship will be made whole again, those two things must happen. The person who has been offended must forgive genuinely. And the one who has done the offense must repent genuinely. For his offense, he needs time to repent. She needs time to repent. Allow that time. If you don't allow it, you're messing everything up. That's why they will repeat it again. Are you hear what I'm saying? So to the one who is giving out the correction and to the one who is receiving the correction, it's a burden. And that's why it's a burden because it's heavy. Because it's going to yield something massive. But you've got to give it time. Give it time. That's why I believe in the church. Even in pastoral ministry, sometimes you suspend the person. You're missing. People, people over the years, I wonder, they think it's easy for me when I just suspend the person. Somebody who plays a role in the church, and you just think, you know, that he just, he just, you can't sit down. Just sit down there. Don't do anything for a while. You think it's easy for me to. I'm missing the person. The, the, whatever the person is doing in the church, I wish the person can still do it immediately. But, the life of that person is more important than the work. Because the work is about people's lives. Are you getting what I'm saying now? Yeah. So that when, I, when, when you are disciplined in the church, you've got to understand this. That it's not like we, we don't, I'm not a sadist. Believe me, I'm not too. God bless you, Jerry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sorry. I love to just see. Like, let's just play. Let's be. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. When it's time to walk, we walk. But when it gets to a point where you know, I need to discipline people, it's not easy. But you've got to do it. And I'm saying this to you because you must understand it as you're parenting your children, as you're relating with each other, friends, spouse, and everything. Notice now, it's not the same as malice, I repeat. That's how you come to church. If your team head, and as I say this, as a pastor, you are a leader in the church, you don't show up for service, and you give flimsy excuses. And then you show up, and then you say, Dad, uh, hello, Dad. You think I will smile? I'm not going to smile at you. Why were you not around? I'm not keeping my list with you. I'm not going to be, you know, just laughing with you, and then, you know, you say, answer Kimbo, I'm not going to be with you. And then, you know, say, hey, daddy, daddy. <laughs> daughter, daughter. Yeah, yeah. What's the meaning of that? And when you come and you say, daddy, I say, who's your daddy? <laughs> now, the response you will get is, if I be your father, why were you not on church on Wednesday? Yeah, that was very heavy, actually. <laughs> no, for real, that's, that's, that's the issue. 
don't expect all that. And that's why you need to grow up to understand how correction is. Because some people now, when you correct, they even call it hate speech. Some say you are judging me. This generation calls correction judgment. And they don't realize if you don't take this correction, that is exactly what you're going to get eventually, judgment. Say, why are you judging me? Why are you judging me? You need to be taught. Say, so is it because I've done wrong now? Nobody's smiling with me. We shouldn't be smiling with you. And the essence is because we wanted to get the point. It's the reason why Paul would give instruction to the Corinthians in first Corinthians. He said, withdraw from that brother. That's the way to correct people. And Lord, he didn't say he's our enemy. But the withdrawal has a point. And the point is, he doesn't seem to get the point and the gravity of what he has done. So, our hope is that when we withdraw from him, he will really understand that this is not a joke. This is not a joke. So, Paul says, withdraw from him. Let me tell you the implication of withdraw from him. If he has a baby, we're not coming for his name. How about that? I know that's, that's surprising to you, isn't it? Yeah? So, so uh, ah, at least they, they understand. I just had a baby. Ah. <laughs> I know that all I did would not matter. Well, if what you did is something that grave, grave you know, we're, we're not going to show up. We're not going to show up. We're not going to show up. We'll delay it till after your punishment. I know that's heavy, isn't it? You're shocked, Abby. And when a brother does something very heavy like that, we'll give instruction. Nobody should go to his house. It's in the Bible, though. Huh? Uh-huh. Because I know some of you is 21st century, 21st century Christianity, you know. I'm telling you the Bible. So there are some things if you do in the church, we'll tell people nobody should greet you. If you say hi on WhatsApp, they should answer you. They'll block you. <laughs> yeah. An organized boycott. The whole church. And you know, that is where you will really know that this is not a personal issue. So you can imagine you show up on Sunday, everybody, you're saying hello, everybody, everybody, just So I celebrate you. So it's a great day. If I, you have, in the service, like you say, tell your neighbor, glory to God. You know, today I'm going to be blessed. And your neighbor look at you and he's, glory, and look at you. Glory to God, though. <laughs> and then you look behind you for another neighbor. That one too, you say, glory. Uh, glory, oh. You know, by the time everybody boycott you, boycott you, boycott you, you will sit down and you will say, come. I think there's something everybody's trying to tell me here. And that's the point there. That's the point there. That's New Testament, new creation in Christ reality. <laughs> it's not what you now say, well, ah, it's me and my God. It's me and my God. So all of us that are here, who brought us here? That's correction. That's correction. I said, many Christians over the years, they will say, can you imagine? They now began to be hostile to me. Eh? What, what, what did we do? What, 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 did, what did we do? What did we do that nobody has ever done before? <laughs> the fact that you are still talking like that means you have not got the point. People that when they correct them, they become activists. He has not taken the correction. <laughs> I knew that continue. Victoria Asata. Ah, we will show them that this kingdom of God is for all of us. Nobody has monopoly of calling you. God call me too old. They say, if church is not churchable, home is homeable. Ah. After all, they say, we have an altar. Ah. <laughs> 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 ah, that's, that's not the way. 
You see, when a person does something that bad, that requires that kind of measure, or those kind of measures to be taken, your response should be tears. You should cry. Ah, I'm telling you, you should cry. Let me tell you some of the things that a believer should cry about. That they look at you and they say, this is the target we gave you for souls. And you have not met it. You should cry. If, I, if you are not crying, you should cry that you are not crying. <laughs> I'm telling you the truth. That you are a leader and then everything under you is falling apart. And then we've corrected you, rebuked you, rebuked you, but things are not changing. And then we call you and we look at you and we're like, you know, what, what can we even do to you now? Before we even say anything like this, you should be right there like, Lord, when did I become this? Yeah. I don't know about you. One time when I was very much up as a keyboardist, one day all of us, we, I, I don't know what we even did. I mean, pastors, everybody doesn't want to see anybody on the instruments. All the choir, we should leave our seat and everything. I wasn't happy to have this service. I, I couldn't leave my head. When it comes to my direction like this, I see that I should enter the ground. Just do like that. Because my eyes God, what I'm supposed to be doing for you. I can't do it because you didn't behave well. Ah, no, Lord. I wasn't happy at all. In this generation, some people like when they say, don't touch it like this. Ah, eh, ah. I'll go and place another place. I'll go and place in another place. There's no ah, seek me. <laughs> you know, say ah, boy, Alinko, have you? <laughs> and that's why you see, like I said, repentance needs time. And that time is not that everybody just run away from you, like you know, like. Like Paul said, we don't withdraw from you because you're an enemy. We're giving you time. We're watching. We're watching. When you have a discipline at home where your dad says you should, ah, man, I, I suffered some punishment when I was a little child. You know, there's one they do. Say, they call it Ijoko Idera. You sit down and you lift your legs and you lift your hands like this. And you're there. Then you know, you know what it calls two down like this? When my father gave me those punishments those days, he would leave me there and forget me. And then you're asking your brothers, Did I eat him? When did he become unbearable? So that you can quickly stand by the wall and rest a little. Say, Let me check. Your daddy's not coming yet. I thought he heard his step. He heard his footsteps from the staircase like this. <laughs> and then the worst case is when you're almost falling down. Some of you can see yourself in that picture. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> and then you'll be wondering, has he forgotten that I'm here? Because he's not looking at you. He wants you to get the point. He wants you to get the point. But you know, some of you, you know yourself, you never got the point. <laughs> Me, those days to punish me because I, I would go out to play football with my friends. At 7 p.m., you must be home. And you're coming back by. And you got your, sometimes you come by like your leg is dirty. You know, everything. You come by 7.45. A legend has returned. <laughs> and your beating is legendary. <laughs> and the amazing is tomorrow you still go back and play again. And you will still forget that it's 7 p.m. Did you belong to those people that they will play until the dark? Until they can't see the ball again. <laughs> dribble, dribble into the darkness. 
That's why I remember he and then you are going up. You know, and you know that you're going home is that with slow motion. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I gotta be very if you have brothers like myself, your brothers will not laugh at you very well. Say, ah, you are jealous. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, I enjoyed growing up. Man. Ah, these days, the joy of these days, well, they have their own fun, chat. But the fun of going out to play, you know, these days now you can't let your children go out and play like that. Ah, those days we were sojourners, we go everywhere. <laughs> Just sojourn all the place. <laughs> so in verse 9, 2 Corinthians 7, now I rejoice, not that ye were made sorry, but that ye sorrowed to repentance. For ye were made sorry after a godly manner that ye might receive damage by us in nothing. So it means when we correct you, is to ensure that you don't get to suffer any damage. For godly sorrow, verse 10, worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. And that's the condemnation part. So never let that godly sorrow get into extremes of, you see, uh, the sorrow of the world. The sorrow of the world is condemnation. Sometimes you see people who say, I can't forgive myself. I can't. That's not of God. If God has forgiven you, then you must forgive yourself. Walking in love is not only to others. It's to yourself too. You've got to forgive yourself when God has forgiven you. So it's not noble when you sit down and you're like, you don't know what I've done. You don't know what I've done. Well, I know about the blood of Jesus. Your sin can't be greater than that. Did you see this? So verse 11 says, For behold, this selfsame thing that ye sorrowed after a godly sort, he said, what carefulness it wrought in you. Did you see that? It, it means this is what it's producing in you. What carefulness. Did you see? So you're not careless anymore. Yea, what clearing of yourselves. Did you see this? Yea, what indignation. And that's a righteous indignation. Yea, what fear. That is reverence. Yea, what vehement desire. That's zeal. You notice in two, Titus 2.14, he said, who uh, 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 delivered us from all iniquity that, and purified us to himself. Did you see that? A peculiar people zeal us unto good works. So he said, what very men desire? Yea, what zeal? Yea, what revenge? In all things, ye have approved yourselves to be clear in this matter. So he says, that feeling like, ah, man, this is wrong, this is wrong. He said, it actually yields great stuff. Those things he mentioned, that's righteousness there. There's a zeal to do what is right. There's a reverence of God. You see, people who don't have any reverence of God in their hearts is because they were ne neither corrected or they did not receive correction. It is impossible to receive correction and not experience greater levels of reverence for God. Because in the correction of God, you will see his love. And you will see his mercy that he's giving another chance. Do you see what I'm saying? And that will make, that's why the Bible says, either love it much, that is forgiven much, love it much. Did you see? So correction is, is, is an act of God's mercy. Let me say I receive correction. Glory to God. I encourage you to go get all the teachings and listen to them again and again. And don't forget this correction is what God emphasized the most in this series. If I, you almost, want, almost forget the real series is metamorpho. And you think the series is about correction and adjustment. Praise God. But it's fine because 
this is like I said, you don't you don't change by focusing on change. You focus on what causes change. And one of the things that really brings change is adjustments and correction. So lift your hands and let's thank God tonight. Father, we give you praise in the name of Jesus. We bless you, Lord. We glorify your name, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for your word. Jesus, we praise your name. We make adjustments where we must. We make corrections where we must, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We praise your name, O oh God. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. This message was brought to you from the Heritage of Faith Church. Our vision is raising stronger believers. For more impactful resources, visit our website at www.hofng.org. God bless you.